0: Yorana Tato and Aloha Kako, you're listening to Native Stories. Native Stories exists to share the voices of those connected to the land. Native Stories' vision is creating a resource for Pilina. Connection to place. And Native Stories aims to activate indigenous perspectives. Obehia Wheeler Toyoa, no Afreitu Moorea. My name is Behia Wheeler, and I am from Wayao Oahu and I am now residing in Aparetu Morea Te Auma My guest today is Ahi Lapalapa Rans, who I've come to know through her art participation in the Honolulu Biennial in 2016, which took place in Honolulu, Hawaii. Since then, I've been following her work um, around the world, part of her artwork, part of her activist work, as she participates in galleries showing her artwork to community activism in London and in Aotearoa. Kē okay, aloha Ahilapalapa.
1: Aloha mai kāua e wehia. Aloha mai kāko o Ahilapalapa ko inua nō no Aotearoa mai au. Ka Hurio ki te reo Māori mō etehi minuti. a uh, e tipuaki o te tai tokirau. Nō no reira kei te mehi nui ki ngā manu finua o te whānao rangi whaka'ahu kei matupauri. Ko te whenua hoki i puipoi uh, My homelands are Fiji, Hawaii, Samoa, Cook Islands, Scotland, Ireland, and England. And I'm born and raised here in beautiful Aotearoa. Currently living in Tamaki Makoto. Uh, mahalo nui e here, for this time we get to record it all in public space together. <laughs> um, I feel honoured to be invited on such an awesome podcast. So mahalo nui e hoa.
0: Yeah, mahalo nui. Wow, thank you so much for your intro. Um, and we have so much to start with from there. So <laughs> you're born and raised in Aotearoa, as you said. Do you want to tell us about uh, your connection to that place? As you've said, you've, you, you have ancestry that comes from really around the Pacific. And so can you tell us about your family coming to Aotearoa and, and how that happened and maybe your family's history?
1: Yeah, I can do a little bit. It's quite um, a huge... It's quite a huge story of my ohana and how we ended up here. Through my dad's line, um, I'm Pākehā on that line, which is like haole, and we are fifth generation to be born and raised here, starting at the bottom of the South Island and moving up to the far north, actually, over five generations. So there's so much that I'm still learning about all of those journeys and um, lives of my kupuna. I was thinking about on my Pacific side – A lot of our kupuna through the generations were travellers across the Pacific, but also from as far away as rivers in Scotland, going via Chile to Hawaii, and that's just a living memory. Um, But I thought I'd start by sharing about my direct kupuna, Karen Lo, ni Ka'ai, and I call her my gam, and she's been an incredible (laughs) guiding figure in my life. Um, So she was born in Singapore and toured through India with her mother and father before they settled in Sri Lanka. Back then, that was known as Ceylon. And she was the eldest child of my great Koro or Tutukane, Ernest Ka'ai, and great Kui or Tutu Tuavivi Greg, and their four children. So she was the eldest of those four. And Koro Ernest had been away from Hawaii for some time traveling, as Ernest Ka'ai and the Hawaiian troubadours. And Kui Tua Vivi was born in Fanning Island. Um, but she and Koro met in Aotearoa when he was touring here and she joined the troubadours as a dancer. And so they travelled extensively through Australasia, Southeast Asia, China and India. And my gam came to Aotearoa on a ship called the Nabada when she was 11 years old. Kui and Koro had separated by then, but Kui Tuavivi brought their four children to live at her parents' place on Richmond Road in Greylin, And that's where my gam went to school. And she told a story about hiding her earring studs under the bush on the way to school because none of the other kids had pierced ears at Greyland Primary School in the 1930s. And so Gam and her siblings really marked the beginning of her line of Arohana that reside here now, and of which we are many, many now. (laughs) We are part of a huge family. Her and my grandfather had um, six, seven daughters, and so that's... Yeah. We've got a lot of us um but she's thinking about her and her journey here. Um I thought I would bring that into this conversation cuz it's it's a huge story and one that I'm still learning so much about, but um yeah. That that's sort of how I how part of how I came to be here.
0: They so you've had a few generations in Aotearoa. So it feels like um one of your homes then you you could say
1: yeah yeah definitely
0: Mm -hmm. Ernest Ka'ai was a musician is that right
1: yeah yeah
0: amazing from musician um
1: from corner ah that's so amazing
0: do you feel like you today as an artist do you feel like that kind of has run throughout your family because of this history for you guys
1: yeah and in all these different ways um for sure. And it's something that I, mm. I continue to orient myself around as we, as we learn mm-hmm. more about, about who we are and about our history. Um, yeah. There's been a lot of different touch points of me and indirect relationship with my koro and, and with my kui, especially as to uh, I'm, I'm her namesake or she's my namesake. I can't remember the direction that you say that in, but um my name, Ahila was one of her middle names.
0: That's so beautiful. And so, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your artist work that I that I find fascinating, and that has brought you like around <laughs> the world, and the themes maybe that you do in your artwork?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I I feel like I've worked in a lot of different categories, but the it's definitely working in the arts. And I'm working collaboratively with other people. I just love to work with other people. Um, But I've been working as an artist now for about 13 years. I started at um, university in in Auckland at AUT um, with a couple of really good friends now. We started a collective called Dance Art Club. And a lot of that came about as a kind of reaction to and a rejection of the elitism that you can find in the arts of this like you can imagine if you go to a, a gallery event and you feel like you're not you shouldn't be mm-hmm. there <laughs> that's on purpose and it actually doesn't have to be that way those stark white walls and the quietness and the art that you don't understand and there's nowhere to access it like all of that i find really infuriating but i i find it infuriating because i love and believe in the power of art and so i just think it's an incredible incredible um sphere to to communicate across like ideological differences to tell stories to use our imagination to do problem solving like it's so cool it's like a visual way of researching Mm -hmm. if you want um but often it can get lost in this kind of idea of itself and just waste it waste it and alienate people and so i feel really passionate about that and uh that's a lot of what my collective dance art club, that's a lot of the things we were working through. And we've, we still work together. We've been working together for twelve over 12 years now. And, and we started mainly just trying to warm up the experience of art and to bring it to a wider group than people, than, you know, the immediate circle around our university and to break up that idea of individualism, of like the solo artist mm-hmm. genius toiling mm-hmm. away in their studio Like that's a very Western construct to me. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting ways, especially as Native people, that we we just are creative. The lines are super blurry of, like, how we practice ourselves. I feel there's a real artfulness to that, how we practice our lives and how we practice whatever it is. We're very creative people. Um, And so, yeah, I guess, like, the work that I do – is often in collective or it's just just creating space. Like I'm starting to be able to navigate the art world to sort of tune it and use it to create things that I think can Mm. be of use, (laughs) really. And then I, I do start to do my own artwork as well, which I'm a lot less comfortable doing. And even within my own artwork, I will still collaborate with people because... Things just come out. That's more than the sum of whoever you're working with. It's you, them, and then there's this other magic that happens in the middle that you couldn't just dissect into who did what, you know. And I think that's really special. Um,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. So, so it's a bit of everything. Working as an artist, but also just using the tools of the creative world to just create space, create opportunities for people, and to use my imagination, yeah. I suppose.
0: I totally yeah. agree. I think as uh, Pacific people, that we didn't we didn't say the word art because we don't, you know, that's a, a Western concept, but we were always in creation. And we were and to work collectively, I think is very pacific as well. Like the fact that that um, solo artists exist is not necessarily part of what how we created and how we lived collect, already lived collectively how we grew collectively how we brought thoughts together collectively so I think that's a really interesting way to use that today for you and your and your personal work and work that you share across the world and what are so, so can you tell us any about um any of your artwork that specifically that you've done <clears throat> maybe in Australia or uh, London or Aotearoa, from your past up until today.
1: Yeah, I think I'd start with London because it completely leads into what I ended up making for an exhibition in Australia. Um, but I, I moved to London on a arts residency in towards the end of two thousand seventeen, and I remember being on the plane and flying over. I'd had I'd had about a year of really practicing more as my own within my own art practice still collaboratively but it was I was much more behind the wheel and so this was quite a new phase for me that was coming off the back of the Honolulu biennial um and I remember being on the plane and looking (laughs) I don't know when the realization came but it was like I was going to London I had a visa for two years I was probably going to stay about a year and it suddenly came up that oh I'm about to fly into the anniversary for Captain Ah. Cook's 250th it had been 250 years ah. since he'd left ah. England and, sailed over to the oh, yeah. and a, a part of me was like, <laughs> oh. and then I gave space to that part and I heard it. And then the other part of me was like, oh, that's why you're going. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Cause like I was going on like an art residency and my partner was about to study over there and she has, um, connection Papa, connections her grandparents lived there so there were lots of like reasons to be there i have family there too but as soon as i realized the date it was like this kind of feeling in my chest of like the stealing myself of like okay how are we mm-hmm. going to navigate this and how am i gonna to the best of my ability influence what i can only imagine is going to be like this fanfare mm. around this man um And so that was, yeah, I really distinctly remember that. And that was also the time that um, things on Mauna Kea started to kick off again. Um, I remember being in my residency, which was in like the Yorkshire coast, and I was in massive culture shock. I was in like super European, British European rural area, which was like, an incredible experience but I felt so far away from anything familiar to me just even in the way people relate to each other and I remember seeing the news and seeing on Facebook that people were going back and everything was heating up again and I just felt back then I felt really fearful I felt really fearful for the Kiai and I felt a little bit of hopelessness I won't lie Um, which has all changed now of course but yeah, I, I had that feeling and I had that feeling of being so profoundly away from it all and not knowing how to contribute my energy to what was going on above and beyond what you can do, sharing sharing the news online and things like that. Um, and so all of that was sort of rumbling in the background and then all of the Captain Cook anniversary celebration started to kick off and so that did all of these huge institutions that are designed to alienate you (laughs) and they're very culturally violent to us, like we, we know our histories there, they have so much of our taonga, so many of our gods, they just have these halls and storage rooms just full and so that experience is also really violent and so for them to start to bring out out of the archive the spoils, I I guess from their perspective, and to talk about him and rewrite the narrative so confidently with a few tweaks, you know, like they wanted to stay relevant and try and date him in a way that makes him still a contemporary hero, and so that was like, that was incredible to be around. It's <laughs> just like, wow, just like hearing it, and and over there, I guess the indigenous rights they. And all of the incredible work that's happened in the Pacific for us to reclaim our narratives and reshape our histories and tell it from our side, that work is happening over there, but it's just against the monolith that they are. Their narratives was just completely dominant, and their, all the experts that they had, it was all really weighted toward a European lens on everything that had happened. So I guess I just tried to jump in. I know that I don't have all of the um, ability, and I... And I remember feeling like, man, all of our like, amazing people are right where they should be, which is in the Pacific, doing this work. Like, of course, these guys can't fill their panels with the experts. The experts are back home. Um, but at the same time, I felt a uh, kuleana to just disrupt, disrupt as much as I could. And so that looked like um, being on panels with people, which was intense, um, politely disagreeing with some of the narratives there's a, a talk at the british library called james cook legacies and controversies and that was sort of the starting point um and i just remember i had to just like adorn myself with <laughs> all the taonga that i could find to try and like protect my my spirit um but it was it was an interesting conversation you know and it was interesting to hear from not the academics and such that like really study and should know better it was interesting to hear from the everyday people that live and are raised in the UK on their education system and just to hear that they don't even know you know a lot of them just have no idea Um, and I think that speaks a lot to also just how much colonizing Britain has done that if they were to know everything that their country has done; they wouldn't have had time to learn math, you know. So, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I could go on on that, but I'm oh, sorry, I'll get back on track. So, it was like some of the artwork that I was doing there was definitely in reaction to this, and to try and. Um, I came from a place of aloha with some of the with all of the projects. Um, there is an exhibition in Whitby, which is where Captain Cook did his training to be a C captain um and they had a big festival about captain cook there was no sort of cultural advisory process to say hey maybe we should look at this from other angles it just sort of rolled ahead and the art institution that brought me in had come to kind of disrupt and add some nuance to that festival which which was pretty um intimidating to me um I didn't feel culturally safe at all, but I felt really compelled. And the thing that made me come in with Aloha is the people of that town, they really just had no idea other than the narratives that they were told. And being such a working class Seaport town, their resource access, like I I don't have any ill will toward them, you know? So to be able to come in with with an educational perspective and with aloha, but with a um, determination to tell our side of the story. And so that took the form of an hour long documentary. Actually, you were a part of that, Be Here, where I interviewed just all sorts of native people that I have connection with. Um, a lot of Tangata Whenua, um, Tahiti, <laughs> Tahitian, Hawaiian, Samoan, um, just talking about. Uh, how Captain Cook has influenced them directly, you know, and any anything that came off of that. And I think it was a it was a really small thing to do. Like if I, I wouldn't make that work here because we have so much dialogue around that. But over there, that was the first time even that they'd seen people that look like us really, aside from anthropological drawings of our ancestors. So just to fill a screen for an hour with all of these different ways that we look in the Pacific, I remember getting a lot of feedback from people like, oh my God, like you're all, yeah, a lot of response just on the way that we look and just the scale. I had it super large in the library. Um, And so that was really exciting. There was a moment Talking with one of the elders of that town, she asked, I had a cup of tea station set up so people could you know, take a breath because they were really hearing a lot of our trauma for the first time and that was quite a lot for them to listen to. And one of the kupuna sat and was having tea and asked to talk to me and I had prepared myself for, okay, she's going to be defensive, there's going to be, I'm just going to have to like navigate this conversation carefully. But she sat me down and she said, um I just want to say that I'm sorry I didn't know any of this and we shouldn't be having this festival and I'm really sorry and I like I just that just like I almost fell off my chair like I didn't realize how much that I needed to hear that just even as one of us (laughs) it was like oh that's why we did it that's why I did this work you know even if it's just you and you take that away um but yeah, I was really impressed by the people of that town that, and the way that they engage with the work. I had people come back days in a row saying, I've been thinking about this all night. I need to know more. Where's a map? I want to know where you all are from. And um, it felt like it churned up a lot for people. But at the same time, it took a huge toll on me. <laughs> so like spiritually, the work was very depleting. Um, but I feel like it had to be done. And it yeah, it kind of led into the work that I ended up making for an exhibition in Australia, um, which in some ways was the absolute opposite of that project in the way that the the exhibition in Australia was curated by five Indigenous people, three of which I already had relationship and trust with, and the whole way they designed the project was to give all of their Indigenous artists a buffer, a cultural buffer and a sense of cultural safety. And they just gave us an opportunity really to be like, just make what you want. Like you are often asked to be in reaction to a proposition, but what is it that you would just do if you got the opportunity to just do it? And I think after coming off the back of this, like being in direct conversation with empire, trying to talk back to empire, trying to bring empire in, Not really. Um, The people within the empire in. um, That was like an amazing idea. And all the while, everything on Mauna Kea was still going on. And so I just started to think, "What, what do we need to see? Like it all still felt a little bit hopeless and a little bit too big. And I just wanted to, like, see, see this incredible idea that Akiyai was standing there for. Like, it's an incredible idea and it's a powerful idea. And it's one that we will live our lives standing for to get those telescopes off our mauna, you know. But it's also, like, it's almost outlandish because these telescopes are just these huge structures that are, like, pierced into the Mauna there's all of this money all of these nations that are standing for their side of it and that that fight feels really huge you know and so I wanted to to just just see it just see what it looks like because it was like I mean I'm there and I'm down for the cause but it also feels a little unbelievable and so at the same time I was like okay I love science fiction and I love Afrofuturism, I love indigenous futurism as a way of just birthing these worlds and birthing this kind of emancipatory future and reality. And so from that place I decided to launch into animation, which I have never done before. And I started to create a project that's called Liftoff. And it was using um a couple of Adobe software systems, uh, Photoshop and After Effects. And it, I, took, I liberated some images from Google of some of the telescopes that are on the mountain already, super wide screen shots and incredible photos, and just started to digitally alter them. And that, that process was actually just to digitally lift off the telescopes from the mountain and then separate them and heal the mountain underneath. And that process, that was sort of the back end to the front end of the animation. But that process for me was incredibly beautiful and quiet and just by myself. That's part of the favorite part of that project for me. And from there, I was able to animate them. And so I worked with one of my kumu, uh, kumu kumu'auli'i Mitchell, who is based on Oahu. And he made an ipu beat for me. He He's the one that's been raising me in hula. He made an ipu beat for me and then a good friend Nikolai Mahina um, edited the ipu beat just to give it a bit more bass. And so I started to animate the telescopes moving and jumping off of the mountain in time to the the beat of the ipu. Um, So they start to sort of lift off the mountain and get spun around in the air and made to do all these ridiculous things. And then by the end of it, as it sort of builds in tempo, they explode into kind of like confetti, also stars. It fills the screen and falls down. And then you're just left with the mountain healed and with no roads, no telescopes, nothing, just... Just the malna, and I yeah I think there's a whakapapa to that work, which was coming from where I was, and trying to figure out a way to to be there with with everybody, and to be there for the malna. Um, how do you be in solidarity long distance? And what a what a fortifying and healing images that I can put out for our people to see. So that was kind of that was that work. Um which which since um since it first showed in Australia in Brisbane it, it's travelled to Vancouver and it has also come back here in Aotearoa It's showed in Wellington and it's a really large work so it's like two huge projections and a large curtain made of this sort of shimmering blue tinsel. So when you're in the space, it's kind of dark and immersive and you can sort of, yeah, you can immerse yourself in that idea and in in what is now such a reality, thanks to the work of the Kiai on the Mauna, like where that movement has moved to is just absolutely incredible and it just feels more and more real every day. So... Yeah, that's that's been a sort of newer part of my art practice, of, but still geared toward being useful, creating healing imagery, creating radical future science fiction kind of
0: <laughs> projects. Now that you're back in Aotearoa, do you have maybe different perspectives and different uh, ways of moving forward with? your artwork as you're situated now in the Pacific, but also in relation to the the native people that are there, the Tonga whenua, the Maori populations that are in Aotearoa?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, Aotearoa is where I was born and raised, and so its influence on me is just always and forever through the land and the um, people and water I think it was through the privilege of travel that I can really I could really see from other places in the world how much I'm shaped by this aina mm. and the cultural context of Aotearoa mm-hmm. and for one I'm tangata Tiriti, which means that I'm a person of the Treaty of Waitangi and then although I'm mana moana, um, and whanaunga or ancestral cousin to tangata whenua here, meaning for anyone that doesn't know that obviously we have this long history of connection that we travelled across Oceania, we, we, we are cousins, we're related to one another. It can be easy to let that be the only way to relate to one another, which is profound and important, but... I think it's important to not forget that it was also through the treaty partnership with the crown of England that our ancestors and living memory came to live here. And so navigating that starts from understanding your place as a guest here. And I think a lot of my understanding, to be honest, was reading an amazing essay from Dr. Ani Mikhaide called Are We All New Zealanders Now? And that was a real touchstone Mm -hmm. moment for me. In one essence, I felt myself and my understanding of place lift off of this whenua, which was totally, like, scary and weird. But then it landed again and with a new appreciation of my role as manuhiri, as guest. And yeah. since then, which would that, – that journey started really, got to that point about six years ago. And since then, pathways have opened up that have expanded and just blown my mind. That was the starting point for me in terms of decolonising my mind and creaking the door open into te ao Māori and te ao takitake or an indigenous worldview. Like I mentioned in the beginning, our Hawaiian family are three generations born off the islands now and have lived through assimilationist, racist settler New Zealand that tried to erase our ancestors and frame diaspora Pacific Islanders as second-class citizens. And of that only as a New Zealand citizen, not as who we are. So it was it was unavoidable to adopt survival strategies that saw the family through the early years. And that meant breaking links to our languages and hula lineage and all sorts of music. But I can see how this was done in Aloha. But its legacy also internalized this idea of not being enough, of almost not being allowed to stand in our Hawaiianness. Which all that really does is Serve the colonial project, right? It serves the settler state. If we don't feel native enough, we don't stand for our land, we don't stand for our language, you know, we just let it happen. <clears throat> but I, it kind of feels like that in all of our Papa. We have a lot of whakapapa lines, and it felt like there was too much and we weren't enough. So through beginning the journey of understanding my relationship to Tangata Whenua, Naiwi Māori, I was actually then able to understand how to relate to my own homelands. And, well, if anything, that relationship with homeland was always there. But through this this work, it gave me the framing to name it and embrace it, this feeling that I'd always had, to be able to articulate what that was, which was deep relationship with ancestral Aina. Mm. And so doing this work and being in relationship in this way has really helped to – understand that the abundance of our whakapapa is amazing (laughs) like that's so cool Mm. (laughs) and like yeah there's a lot of work of reconnection but like what an awesome job that is you know yeah like how much story has our family got that we can discover and learn and share with the generations to come after that's part of the work i think of this generation is that reconnection and that healing work and that, and that there's such mana in our manuhiri tanga, in our, in our being, in our role as guests on this land. There's, there's so much mana there. And that that's really set me and many of my family on, a, on this pathway of reconnection and healing. So, yeah, I think obviously I wouldn't be who I was if I weren't from Aotearoa, but I feel incredibly lucky to have been born and raised here. Um, to be part of the Pacific. It's a beautiful place, beautiful people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find it really interesting um, as a a place to look out at the rest of the Pacific because this place has really been filtered heavily through a sort of British settler colonial lens and narrative that still cloaks a lot of, the Finola. If you don't know how to see underneath it, and so to look across over at Hawaii, it's a, such a different story, in some ways, in many ways, and so and and all sorts, all all around, and Tahiti through the French filter, and starting to become aware of these outside influences and how they've shamed, shaped, <laughs> shaped us, but also how to see underneath it and through it, so you can see how they've influenced and we've influenced distinct accents in these places and the ways that our cultures have seeped through or remained sacred and separate and all of that is is partly painful but it's it's just our reality and it's pretty um there's a lot there Mm. there's a
0: lot yes yes absolutely i agree it's um (laughs) i agree it's a lot it's a lot and there's a beauty in it (laughs) there's hardship in it, but at the end of the day, I guess I could speak personally for me, it's just a, a responsibility. I mean, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. let go of anything Pacific, even though it might yeah. be hard or, you know, because the the rewards are just a thousand times just amazing, like, mind-blowing in the ways that I get to connect with people talking about our histories, talking about their work, like, such as you, and
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so yeah. in terms of what you're doing today in Aotearoa, I have noticed as you introduced yourself in Maori language, you've taken the time to learn the, the native language and also work on different um, uh, support for land land rights for maori and things like that
1: yeah i think um part of this whole um practice of being manuhiri here is something that you're constantly sort of growing that part and constantly learning and teaching yourself and listening to tangata getting guidance from from them always and i think oh well uh, Maybe four years ago, I, I've always had a, a love and appreciation of Tidio from an, but was raised pretty monolingual, and I think yeah, about four years. And as I started to sort of awaken up as a, as more of a cultural practitioner and get a wider framing of that, I realized really that I, <laughs> that I, if I wanted to stand on this spinner and practice and say my things, I actually had to do quite a bit of remedial education mm-hmm. because. Um, otherwise there's a risk of just like, I don't know, being kind of laterally colonising, you know, as Pacific people, Mm -hmm. we can definitely take up too much space here. So I really wanted to start to really build capacity there, to start with some just basic cultural competency of how to be here and understand who I am here and how to be in relationship with Tangata Whenua here. And so for me that looked like, taking a year of full immersion to um that was the starting point and then from there I realized it's a lifetime commitment of course that's always going to grow and look like different things um and so I yeah I usually end up doing a mix of a mix of things which can go from you know curating exhibitions or creating fundraiser t-shirts or just being in direct action, you know, if there's a if there's land rights issues or anything, just whenever I'm able I will show up and um, I think that's the main mm-hmm. thing, whatever form it takes, if my art can support it, if whatever skills that I can bring to the cause, I will bring them humbly um, and remember my place in the movement to take leadership from Tangata Whenua.
0: So amazing. And I think... Um... Well, actually, I relate as a a person who grew up in Hawaii who doesn't have genealogy to the place, but I have genealogy to the Pacific. Mm. So it is Mm. um, important to be aware of um, in which ways we are connected and in which ways we can support, (laughs) you know? Not talk for people, but be behind them and support.
1: And if I ever get, um, <clears throat> excuse me. If I ever get lost or have questions, and internally I'm always, I can always go, what would I want as a Hawaiian? <laughs> mm, exactly. What would I want from my guest?
0: What would? All like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we have guides. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, can you explain a little bit more about Moana? fresh that you do today in aotearoa
1: there's a few things happening there there's been it started as a conversation with one of my close friends and earliest collaborators Urale. we've been collaborating now for over 13 years we we are two of the four members of dance art club but even before that we had been in a collective called little mama's art club which was all um Wahine moana, and we would just gather around to make craft together, weaving and and um, decorative work. It was really beautiful. So we've we've worked together on stuff for so long now that actually we're more like family now. Um, but I, in the background, I'd been off work for a while since moving home from the UK. I'd had some shoulder injuries that had prevented me from getting empl- employment, and I was trying to find a way to contribute to my ohana. So I'd come up with this idea of making these extra-large scrunchies. I thought a lot about, like, large, beautiful Pacific hair and just, like, visibility and how we adorn ourselves and what does contemporary adornment look like and how do we flex. And I just kept thinking about these big scrunchies that look like pua, these beautiful pua that are strong enough and big enough that they don't get lost in our hair, but they stand, like, bold and tall. So that was my starting point but I was also really shy about like selling scrunchies because <clears throat> I've never like commercialized or sold my art, let alone something else. Mm, so
0: okay.
1: I was a little bit, um, I was a bit shy, but after talking with Vaimela, she's, she's also an amazing artist in her own right. She's got a huge um, individual art practice, um, but she had also, and she'd been traveling and everything, but she'd also been making soaps as kind of like a side hustle under a fusion of her two young daughters' names, Mananuanua. And so we'd been talking about, like, yeah, on paper, we're these big flash artists, but we're also, like, really tired. And, Mm. like, don't – There's that part of us is, like, a little bit depleted because that that way of working in an individual art career hustle is really unsustainable unless you come from – enough wealth that you can afford to leave your home and go to exhibitions and spend three months somewhere and come back and blah, blah, blah. It's just
0: because of uh, traveling around the world and, I mean, all of that costs money. Is, is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I think that kind of lifestyle is designed for certain people. Like, there's so much privilege involved and it's it was incredible to do the, the few things that I did. But um, I guess starting to realize that actually that's, that's only one way to practice art As like an international traveling artist. That's, that actually doesn't suit me. And I think Maila had been getting to that same position of why for me to practice my creativity, do I have to leave my girls and go over to Japan or why do I have to leave any sort of stability? And so both of those viewpoints, we just had like a spontaneous phone call and I shyly told her about my scrunchie project. Mm-hmm. and she was like yeah i'm back on my soap (laughs) i'm over (laughs) it (laughs) and so after that we were like i was like yeah and i don't know how to sell them i feel like i'll just look like you know those lemonade stands with the kids
0: right outside on the the side of the road (laughs) yeah
1: this is all i'm seeing and it's kind of funny but it's kind of sad (laughs) so So we decided let's do it together because that'll be way less scary and then we, it can just be funny and we can just laugh at ourselves. And so that's kind of where it started. From that point, we got excited about it. And Vai mela, um lives in Avondale in, in Tamaki Makoto and found an empty window bay of a shop. It's about a foot deep and it has like a huge window front and a door which gives the optical illusion that it's a lot bigger than it is, but it's actually just this little window bay. And so we sort of decked that out with with our Moana Fresh aesthetic. And then we did. We just had like a trestle table set up on the side of the road um, of like a busy road in Avondale. And we designed it as a pop-up really. But from the beginning as soon as we were like yeah let's you and I do it together we were like oh who else can we help because we know it's shame selling our own things, so we'll just sell other people's things too so they don't have to shame (laughs) Mm. because I don't want to talk up myself but I really want to talk up the people whose work I love and I know that they won't do it for themselves you know like I will show up for you I will hype you hard I am proud of you you are amazing so I think um yeah, from the beginning we started, we ended up having about 14 different indigenous Pacific makers. And and I think cuz we'd come from our dance art club perspective, we weren't going from a traditional art gallery kind of perspective. It was looking across medium with the money that it deserves, you know, like yes, you can have a really beautiful more traditional painting, and that sits alongside somebody's beautiful earrings or scrunchies or, um, (laughs) my auntie made some delicious chocolate bark for Christmas, you know, like all of that sits in one umbrella with us. There's no sort of um, hierarchy there. And that's always been really important. And so now we're six months in and it's, it's been so cool. I think at the moment we're we're looking at about twenty two different artists and craftspeople and just moana makers, I love to call them wanna makers mm-hmm. that we represent. Mm. And we decided to move like the, the trestle table pop up format has been really fun. Just being on the side of the road and just chatting with people has been awesome. But Elise opened up in the in the building next door to our window, which actually does go into an internal building. And so we took on that lease with my sister who runs Papa Clothing. And so splitting the the lease between these two baby businesses, well, hers is a lot more grown than ours, was a little bit of a like giving us a bit of a safety. It felt a little safer to split the rent that way. Um, And we can support each other and create that kind of studio culture that's really fun. Um, yeah and so now it's we've got an online um, we're mainly operating online because of COVID and the social distancing regulations that we have here and that's been extremely important especially because at the moment the it's disproportionately affecting Pacific and Maori people and we know that those are mainly the people that come and support us and support the work that we do so we want to be really mindful of that um, but we are working toward opening back up to more kānohi ki face face-to-face interaction because that's, that's the fun where we can like just get all get together and like buy stuff, chat, catch up, um, but also just like celebrate, mm-hmm. celebrate Pacific and Māori excellence, you know. It really feels like it's come off the end of two, almost three years of of that work that I was describing earlier especially in the UK like I I felt so lucky to have been there and to have seen and participated in what I did but mm. that process of like talking back to empire and all of that it was like it was just immense and actually I just yeah I think I was craving <laughs> just like something really tactile and small and sustainable and a routine you know like just grounded and I think That's what Moana Fresh is for me. Like, I I just get so much joy out of doing this work. And I think for both Vaimayla and I, especially because we come from the arts and we know how extractive and unfriendly it can be, just to be able to offer something different to so many of these talented people that by and large don't have um, gallery representation, they don't have a dealer or anybody that sort of advocates on their behalf, and I don't think that's the be-all and end-all to have a dealer gallery or anything, but I think having someone to advocate on your behalf is huge. It's It just is one of the pieces that can make a sustainable creative practice. And we're like, mm-hmm. we're, our hearts are so in it. Our last, our most recent um, person that joined us they they actually asked like we've been wanting them to be part of Mona Fresh for so long, um, and they came along with a friend to, to have a meeting about something else, and they they asked us if they could join, and honestly we both burst into tears. <laughs> like, we've been waiting for you. <laughs> like we're coming home. It's like a real family vibe, you know, like because you can see yeah. people out there that are just so talented and may or may not have the support they need and it's just like let's do what we can like let's let's rally back each other yeah yeah that's that's mainly what i'm doing now and what i can see myself doing for a long time i can only see it growing um but sustainably that's that's core i think is that um we have to take care of ourselves to take care of other people and oh, to that's wonderful. And
0: doing wonderful. It, you know, yeah. Sorry, interrupted you. You said and have fun.
1: Oh, and yeah, the importance of joy, eh? <laughs> yeah, just just having some like, and I can see it growing. I think um, at the moment it's mainly local artists that we work with, um, but all Pacific and Maori and. I can definitely see it growing wider. Um, So long as we can figure out ways to to do that, that that makes sense. So we're not shipping things unnecessarily across the ocean. But if we can, if there's ways to grow in a way that would support the wider Pacific, I think that'd be so awesome.
0: Yeah. I think it's such a great idea and your whole, um, as you shared with us, your history of creating space for yourself and for other people to like be basically be the best you know and and uh, um be fulfilled and have joy in their lives i think this is perfectly on track and can be really powerful is already powerful and will continue to be that
1: thank you yeah yeah, one of the things, actually, that I really love about this is that we can uh, – that for us, by us, I find that such a powerful phrase. I think it's from the disability community, for us, by us, FUBU. Um, but thinking about that in terms of Pacific or Indigenous Moana art and crafts-making, that we actually – often the, the format is if we do get into dealerships, we're selling these super expensive artworks to an other. And so it's always sort of directed out, but trying to create something where we can actually afford to collect and support each other. Cause I believe that we do and will continue to. um, And that, that access, I don't know. I'm just quite interested to see how this is going to keep going of how we, have this like infrastructure or can create this infrastructure through Moana Fresh to just disperse and have that kind of not closed economy, but, you know, really investing in each other. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, exactly. Actually, this is a perfect time. If you'd like to, as we're running out of time, uh, share any last thoughts or maybe the social media where you can be found um with Moana Fresh for any of any any of our listeners that are interested.
1: So you can find a lot of the things that I'm doing now is through Moana Fresh, which on Instagram is at Moana Fresh and online is www.moanafresh.com dot com. Um and then my personal Instagram is at Ahilapalapa. And I guess my the last thing I'd probably leave with is that we all have different roles to play in the movement, to eradicate anti blackness, halt climate change in the colonial project, but also to create joy. And I think it's important to take a breath. This is just from my own experiences so far. But to find your space in Kuliana and also let it change as you mm. do. So it's this practice of aloha. And within that there has to be space to refill and nourish yourself. And your community, your core community. Otherwise, burnout and lateral harm within your family is real. And that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And that time for healing and joy is a core part of movement building and decolonizing. So, yeah, that's that's my little bit of iki I've, I've had from my recent um, travels. And I say that as a young person, so however you want to hear it but um thank you so much for here for letting me on this podcast it's uh, i feel very special to have been invited
0: um Mahalo Vih- Nui. i love this conversation it's very um nice and and uh, empowering but in a <laughs> such a, a ahilapalapa way where it's like the warm fire <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey i can go to lava <laughs>
0: well again mahalo Nui for sharing your story with us here at Native Stories if any of our listeners want to connect further with us please do follow us on Facebook search Native Stories for daily updates on Native Kaimea or things please download our mobile app and listen to us on all streaming podcast outlets just search Native Stories make sure to share us with your Ohana hoapili friends, lovers or whoever you'd like Native Stories prides themselves in being your resource of truth-telling and Indigenous knowledge. And the more you share, the more people will know and be informed.